Mark chapter 3, and we'll continue where we were last Sunday, 22, where we see these accusations intensifying against Jesus. In verse 22, And the scribes which came down from Jerusalem said, He hath Beelzebub. Now that's an interesting phrase. Not just he, he reminds us of Beelzebub, he hath Beelzebub. He is, he is of the devil, talking about Jesus. And by the prince of the devils casteth he out devils. And he called them, these critics, unto uh, himself. He called them unto him and said unto them in parables, How can Satan cast out Satan? And if a kingdom be divided against itself... That kingdom cannot stand. And if a house be divided against itself, that house cannot stand. And if Satan rise up against himself and be divided, he cannot stand, but hath an end. No man can enter into a strong man's house and spoil his goods, except he will first bind the strong man and then he will spoil his house. These accusations against Jesus were unreasonable. They were vicious lies, accusing him of being of the devil, accusing him of using the devil's power to perform miracles. And then he, in this same conversation, notice what he says in verse 28, Verily I say unto you, the word verily is an emphasis, truly, pay attention to this, this matters, this is important. Verily I say unto you, to those that he was speaking with. All sins shall be forgiven unto the sons of men, and blasphemies, wherewithsoever they shall blaspheme. But he that shall blaspheme against the Holy Ghost hath never forgiveness, but is in danger of eternal damnation." So he says to these people who've been criticizing him, there is a sin. You ought to think about this, fellas, he's saying. There is a sin that cannot be forgiven. And Jesus called it blasphemy against the Holy Ghost. And why did he say this? Look in verse 30. Because they said, he hath an unclean spirit. So we have an explanation of why he said it. We have the content of what he said, and I want us to look at that subject today. Very interesting subject, what I would call the unpardonable sin. We sang earlier about the wonderful pardon that we have through the blood of Jesus Christ. But Jesus talked about an unpardonable sin, a sin for which there is no forgiveness. And uh, let's pray as we ask God to help us this morning. Thank you, Lord, for the Bible. Thank you for the good service, the good spirit in the service today, the privilege of worshiping you. Thank you for truth in song. Thank you, Father, for the Bible that is before us. We pray for your help as we study together. Help us to be attentive. Help us to learn. Help us to avoid distractions. Help us to make this, give this time, these moments, the attention that they deserve because it is your word. Help me as I preach, I pray. And use your word in all of our lives. In Jesus' name, amen. You may be seated. I want to say, before we get into the text today, that this is a subject 
that has caused great concern in the lives of lots of people. I've personally, more than a few times, uh, counseled with someone who questioned if maybe they've committed the unpardonable sin. Have I, do you think that's possible that I've committed the unpardonable sin? And we want to look at this today and look at really two main things in this text that I want to focus our attention on. And the first one is in this, in this to me, a very sober, very, very serious matter of a sin that cannot be forgiven. But in that same context, we have a great promise and a great hope. And that is the forgiveness of sin. Look in verse 28, where Jesus said, All sins shall be forgiven unto the sons of men and blasphemies, wherewithsoever they shall blaspheme. All, all sins shall be forgiven. Isn't that a great promise? I mean, think about this today for just a moment. What if there were no forgiveness? What if there was no promise of forgiveness of sin? And I realize that the vast majority of the world doesn't care. But that's just because they live in a world of darkness. What if there was no forgiveness? Number one, there would be no relief from guilt. We'd all have to live with the guilt and the shame of the mistakes that we've made. And I don't know about you, but I've made a lot of them. And the only reason that I don't walk around under a guilt, burdened down with the guilt of shame for the things I've done, the things I've said, the way I've acted, both as a, a, a sinner and as a saint, it's not because I don't think sin matters. It doesn't think that, it isn't because I just kind of let it go over me. It doesn't wa like water off a duck's back. No, it's because I know that they're pardoned and washed and cleansed through the blood of Jesus Christ. There'd be no forgiveness. There'd be no relief for guilt. Second of all, if there was no forgiveness, there would be no fellowship and relationship with God. If there wasn't forgiveness, you could not know God as your Father. If there was no forgiveness, you could not have a relationship with God that, 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 that goes beyond just meeting on a Sunday morning and singing and worshiping. We're talking about a relationship where He walked with us and talked with us and He's a abiding presence in our life. He dwells within us. He is our ever-present help, a companion, a friend that sticketh closer than a brother. If there was no forgiveness, you would never know that. Because your sin would separate you from God. If there was no forgiveness, there would be no escape from eternal damnation. I'm telling you today, whether you think about this or not, but if there was no forgiveness, one day when this life ends, your first conscious awareness would be in a place the Bible calls hell. Eternal damnation, the torment of hell and whether you believe that's true or not, I know it's true because Jesus said it was true. The only reason I will escape hell is because of forgiveness. Amen. To me, it's a wonderful thing when you look at those words in verse 28. All sins shall be forgiven unto the sons of man. There is forgiveness. All sins. What we might say... Little sins, big sins, but they're 
all sins. You know, sometimes we have a tendency not to take our sin as seriously as we should. I was thinking yesterday about a very meaningful passage in Romans chapter 7 where it says this, that sin by the commandment might become exceedingly sinful. Think about those words. That sin by the commandment might become exceedingly sinful. Now the commandment is what? The commandment is what God says. You know, I could say to you that lying is a terrible sin. And I've said that to a lot of people. And sometimes you say that to them and it doesn't really faze them. But you know what? When God opens your eyes to see that your lying has broken God's holy law and your lying is a very serious matter to Almighty God, there no, no longer will there be such a thing as little white lies. Your sin becomes exceedingly sinful because of the commandment, because of what God says. We, we look at things in our life and we excuse them or we pass over them or we're dismissive about them because we just look at these minor faults or indifferences. But when you see that God has an opinion and God has spoken and when God has said something about your life that is against Him, it makes a difference in your life. Right? What sin... What sin is exceedingly sinful? Really, all sin. All sin. My sin. You, you know, we'd look at other people and say, boy, that, that guy's a real sinner. But you know what? All sin is exceedingly sinful. This, my sin of pride. My sin of hypocrisy. My sin of jealousy. My sin of anger. My, my sin becomes exceedingly sinful. By the commandment of God. I really enjoyed our Sunday school lesson this morning in that passage there in um, 1 Thessalonians because it just opened our eyes up again to the most important matter and that is what, what does God think? It's not what you think that matters. It's what God thinks that matters. It's not, and so when we start thinking in those terms of what God thinks it makes our sins become exceedingly sinful. But the good news is, all sins shall be forgiven. Isn't that good to know? All sins. By the way, God wants to forgive our sins, right? He wants us to be forgiven. He wants us to be cleansed. 1 John chapter 1 says, the blood of Jesus Christ cleanses us from sin. It doesn't just remove it, it cleanses us of sin. Forgiveness of sin is possible because Jesus died for those sins. Jesus died. You don't have to carry the guilt of your sin. Jesus died for your sin. You don't have to go to hell because of your sin. Jesus died for your sins. You don't have to go through life acting like it's not right, not, not wrong, when you know it's wrong because Jesus died for those sins. Romans 3 says, For all have sinned and come short of the glory of God. Now, I'm not, I'm not sure we would agree upon this, but to me, all means all, right? A-double-L, all. Clifford Rice used to say, 
A-double-L all ain't no more than that. He may not have been writing his language, but he's writing his theology. All of us have sinned. All of us. And by the way, that doesn't make me feel any uh, less concerned about my sin because I know we're all in the same boat. I still, it's exceedingly sinful to us because of God's commandment. But Romans 5 says, but God commended His love toward us. In that while we were yet sinners, while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. Much more than, he goes on to say in Romans, being now justified by His blood. We sung about that a moment ago. Justified. A, a legal justification, a de de declaration by a judge that there's nothing guilty in us. We've been justified because of His blood. And he goes on to say, we shall be saved from wrath through Him. Ephesians says, in whom we have redemption through His blood, the forgiveness of sins according to the riches of His grace. And Colossians it says, in whom we have redemption through His blood, even the forgiveness of sins. All sins can be forgiven. I know it's possible. It is possible. I'm sure I've seen some of this. I'm, it's possible for us, even after our sins are forgiven, to still carry this sense of guilt and shame so much that we still, we're still like we're paying for our sin, but like we heard in the song, it's finished. Jesus already paid for it. But there's also another thing that we ought to think about, and that is taking our sin too lightly. Our disobedience too lightly. And we ought to, we ought to take it seriously. And I think, I'm, I'm just reminded of the, the conversation that took place when Jesus was talking to a man in his house when this woman who had a reputation of being a sinner had come into the house. And Jesus was reclining. They didn't have any chairs in those days to speak of. They would just sit on the floor or lay on the floor. And this woman was sobbing, weeping, and wiping his feet with her hair and pouring this alabaster box of ointment and worshiping him. You're familiar with the scene, I'm sure. And they didn't understand. They imagine, in fact, the, the owner of the house, if I remember right, accused Jesus. Don't you know this woman's a sinner? This is what Jesus said. The reason she loves me so much is because she has had so much sin. I want to tell you why people come to church and they're kind of ho-hum about, even Christians, about singing and praising and giving to God and serving God and sacrificing. You know why? I think they've either never really understood or forgotten what a sinner they were before God and that Jesus Christ has forgiven them of all their sins. To me, that's not a kind of a carte blanche or, a, or an excuse for me to go out and do as I please. I'm, I feel compelled to love Him and honor Him and worship Him and serve Him all my days because He's done so much, right? All sins can be forgiven. 
But that forgiveness is not automatic. It's not guaranteed. Matter of fact, there's probably people in here today, if the truth were known, cannot claim that promise at this time. You know why? Because you have to personally receive it. Jesus died for the sins of the whole world. When he said it is finished, he didn't just mean it's finished for a certain group of people. He means it's finished for all people on the planet. But just because he's paid for our sin does not mean that we have been forgiven of our sin. It doesn't mean that it doesn't mean that our sins have been cleansed. We must come to God with sincere repentance for our sin and put our faith and trust in Jesus Christ for salvation. And the moment that happens, the moment, the moment you as a, as a sincere sinner who realizes you've broken God's law, who realize that you're separated from God and if something doesn't happen to correct that, you're going to go to hell and you're going to stay there forever. But the moment you realize that Jesus Christ 2,000 years ago died for every sin you've ever committed and you receive Him by faith, He forgives us of our sin. And if you're not saved today, you ought to want to be saved. Amen? What it is to know that our sins are forgiven that our sins are forgiven. And there are people here today that if, 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 if today for some reason you were to be taken from this life or if today, if some reason or at this point in time by the providence of God He took all His children off of this planet. And it's going to happen someday in a moment of time. I think it would be very interesting if it happened on a Sunday morning but it couldn't be the same time zone everywhere, I guess. Because I just think it'd be an amazing thing for people to be sitting in church and all of a sudden realize most everybody's gone. Finally, I think they'd say, whoa, maybe I should have taken this more seriously. But if today was your day and you were to die today without Christ, you don't have any hope. You don't have any hope. Wouldn't you say that's a serious thing to contemplate? A serious thing for us to consider. And today you ought to be thinking about this. I want to get saved. I want to put my faith and trust in Christ today. I want to be born again. I'm going to quit putting off making that decision. You ought to do that today. Because it's a great promise. I'm looking again in verse 28. If you still have your Bible open there. All sins shall be forgiven unto the sons of men. And blasphemies wherewith soever they shall blaspheme. Thank God for that. But then he says in verse 29, But he that shall blaspheme against the Holy Ghost hath never forgiveness, but is in danger of eternal damnation. What a statement. Eternal damnation. What a statement. Now what does it mean to blaspheme? To blaspheme means to speak against, to slander, Evil speaking, irreverent speech, especially against God. Blasphemy. In Luke chapter 12, and I'm not going to turn to that, but I'll I'll quote a verse for you, read a verse. In Luke chapter 12, speaking about this same subject, Jesus said, whosoever, hear this definition, whosoever shall speak a word against the Son of Man, it shall be forgiven him. But unto him that blasphemeth against the Holy Ghost, it shall not be forgiven. 
To blaspheme is to speak a word against. Now, why did Jesus, why did Jesus give this warning here in Mark chapter 3 to these critics for what they were saying? Look in verse 30, it says, Because they said, He hath an unclean spirit. What Jesus was saying was, what they were doing were putting them in jeopardy of blaspheming against the Holy Spirit and committing the unpardonable sin. It's almost like Jesus was saying to them, whether you realize it or not, you're kind of on the brink. You're on the edge that if you step over it, there's no hope for you. You'll have eternal damnation. And he called that the, the blasphemy against the Holy Spirit. Jesus... Uh, Jesus said, for those who've committed that hath never forgiveness. They're eternally lost. There's no hope of salvation. They will forever be in hell. Now it's interesting that, that Jesus said just prior to that, all sins shall be, all sins shall be forgiven. All forms of sin will be forgiven. And even blasphemy could be forgiven but not to blaspheme against the Holy Ghost. Luke, uh, when Luke records this, saying, as I read a moment ago, speaking against the Son of Man even can be forgiven. If a person spoke against Jesus, just Jesus alone, that could be forgiven. As a matter of fact, the people who were responsible for crucifying Jesus and railed on Jesus and rejected Jesus, Jesus said of them, Father, forgive them. Right? For they know what they, don't know what they do. But blasphemy against the Holy Spirit will not be forgiven, according to Jesus. So what they did was in danger of blasphemy against the Holy Ghost. And what were they doing? Number one, they were attributing the work of Jesus to the devil. Right? They said, he's doing what he does. He's, he is doing... He is performing miracles, but it's, it's with the power of the devil. They denied the work of God in their midst. They didn't recognize who Jesus was. They denied the deity of Jesus Christ and really set their hearts against the work of God. Now, I know that uh, some of you have studied this and you've heard it preached and you've really worked on this to understand the person of the Holy Spirit, but some perhaps haven't. But the Holy Spirit is not just some sort of a influence. The Holy Spirit is a person. He is the, what we call the third person of the Trinity. He is, he is the very person of God. Just as God the Father is, is God in all of His attributes, and God the Son, Jesus Christ, is God, co-equal with the Father. God the Holy Spirit is God, co-equal with the Father and the Son. And He has a very vital work in our life. Please hear me. A very vital work. When Jesus was talking about the coming of the Spirit of God in a way that He had never been here before, He said He will reprove the world of sin and of righteousness and judgment to come. You know one of the things the Holy Spirit came to do, young person? He came to convince you of your sin. He came to convince you. You know what? We need convincing. I lived a lot of my life 
not convinced about my sin, not convicted about my sin. But the Holy Spirit came to convince us of our sin. And by the way, when he gets a hold of you about your sin, it'll, not, it'll be a lot different than you just thinking about your sin. He came to reprove us of our sin. He came to guide us into truth. Jesus said he will guide you into all truth. He came to glorify Jesus Christ. Jesus said he will not speak of himself, but he will glorify me. Now that's why the Spirit came. Now hear me, it is the work of the Spirit of God to draw people to Christ. To draw them. Not like we would take a rope and try to lasso someone or a net and try to capture them, but inside he draws people to Christ. The Spirit of God wants to draw you closer to Jesus Christ. He wants you to come to know Him. He wants to show you your sin. He wants to show you who Christ is. He wants to draw you. That's why He came. Matter of fact, the Bible says you cannot come to Him if He does not draw you. Now that may seem strange to you, but you're absolutely hopeless and helpless to be saved without the work of the Spirit of God. He has to draw you. I'm sure there are people in the world that at some time in their life have thought, boy, I wish God would just leave me alone. If they thought that or said that, they don't know what they're saying. Because if God leaves you alone, you don't have any hope. No matter how much try, how sincere or earnest you may be, you don't have any hope. It's the work of God to draw people to Christ. The Holy Spirit does that. To convince people of their need for salvation. And when a person is is being dealt with by the Spirit of God concerning their life and their sin. It is a serious matter. I didn't get saved when I was a young person. But the Spirit of God dealt with me as a young person. And I'm telling you, it was real. The preacher wasn't just trying, as we heard this morning, to manipulate me. God was dealing with me in my heart. I was afraid of going to hell. I was afraid of the consequences of my sin. Let me ask you something, young person. Has that ever happened to you? Where God Himself was working on you and dealing with you? I want to tell you, when God deals with you, it's a serious matter. Very serious matter. And so, we're talking about the work of the Holy Spirit. And so when God is dealing with a person's heart, when God is making Himself known to a person, when He's convicting of sin, it is a dangerous thing to neglect it. We were just studying in our small groups in the last week or two about this Bible truth that's found throughout the Scripture. That when we reject truth, the Bible says it has a tendency to harden our hearts. And it does, doesn't it? And it's a deceitful thing. We're hardened through by the deceitfulness of sin. The person who rejects, who resists God's attempts to bring them the truth and the salvation and conviction, and they don't receive Jesus Christ by faith, they will never be forgiven. If the Spirit of God quits dealing with you, as I said earlier... What hope do you have? You could memorize scripture to the day that you die. You could attend every church service when the doors are open. You could get rid of all your ungodly music and fill your house with Christian music. But I'm telling you, if God ever quits dealing with you, you're done. And I don't say that with any joy or glee. I'm just telling you the truth. You're done. 
Because what you've done is you've, you've resisted his attempts. You know, a person could hear this and say, well, preacher, I just don't think that's right. I mean, that God would not forgive them. Now, you may consider this a hard pill to swallow, but this is what I would say to that. God owes us nothing. Right? God doesn't owe me one attempt to work in my heart, much less two. Because we're all by nature rebels. We've all turned against God. We've all, re- we've all rebelled and broken God's law. And when you think about it, if a person does not want God, if they don't really want Him, if they disregard God's attempts to speak to them and draw them, and God gives up on them, God is just giving them what they want. Is that right? God's just giving them what they want. When a person rejects Jesus Christ, they reject salvation, they reject forgiveness. And they're going to live without Him forever. Not just in this life, but for eternity. Jesus was warning in Mark chapter 3 these critics who claimed that His work was not of God, but it was of Satan. They dismissed what He was doing And he was warning them. He said to them in verse 28, Verily I say unto you, he said to them, You better be careful that you don't insult or mock the Spirit of God. Because when you blaspheme the Spirit of God, there is no forgiveness for you. Right? That's a serious thing, isn't it? That's a serious thing. As I said earlier, and I mean this, I've been, uh, I've been asked several times by distraught believers. I'm talking about people who, by all signs or evidence or testimony and fruit, they, 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 they were saved, they had, thought, they had believed they were saved, but, they, but they've been very troubled about this. Have, have I committed the unpardonable sin? So I want to answer this question. Can a, can a Christian commit this unpardonable sin? And the answer is no. Matter of fact, when a person would come to me very troubled and saying, I, I don't want to be away from God. I, I don't want to be separated from God. I don't want to spend forever separated from God. You know, I, want, I really want to be saved. Do you think I've committed this unpardonable sin? And to me, the very fact that they want God tells me that they haven't committed the unpardonable sin. Right? The person who's committed the unpardonable sin does not want God. And by the way, there could be people sitting right here today. If you'd be honest, maybe you don't really want God in your life. That is a dangerous place to be. Right? That is a terribly unsafe place to be. The blasphemy of the Holy Ghost is rejection of God. It's rejection of the Spirit's work. It's, it's, it's attributing what is, by the grace of God, it's, it's attributing that to the devil. I don't think it's a thoughtless mistake. I think it's a deliberate rejection. I don't know of any more serious words to consider than what we've read today especially for a person 
who has really to this point not been willing to respond to the Spirit of God's work in their heart. This is a serious place. This is a serious thing. It's serious whether you take it seriously or not. It's still serious. And I just want to say this. If you're here today and you have not truly repented of your sin, if you've not truly come to Jesus Christ in repentance and received Christ as your Savior, and you know you should, and you know what it is for God to nudge you and deal with you in your heart, and you know what that's like for Him to get close to you. Some of you may not know that, but there's a difference in just hearing my voice in your ear and knowing that there's an inner voice dealing with you. And you've never responded to it. You're, on a ba- you're in a bad place. You're in a bad place. But the good news is, you can come to Christ today. The fact that you feel the need to is evidence He's not finished working in your life. You ought to come to Him today. And through Him, all your sins can be forgiven. But without Him, there is no forgiveness. Right? Without Him, there is no forgiveness. John the Beloved said, and this is the record that God hath given to us eternal life. And this life is in His Son. He that hath the Son hath life. He that hath not the Son of God hath not life. He didn't say if you're a church member, you've been baptized. He that hath the Son hath life. So I said this morning in the beginning, I want to wrap this sermon around two basic thoughts. Number one, Jesus Christ came to forgive all of our sins. I never get tired of thinking about that. Never. Thank God for it. For forgiveness of sin. And if you're here today and maybe you say, well, I know I'm saved, but boy, I'm just, I just keep beating myself up over things I've done. Let me tell you something today. I'm not trying to minimize your mistakes, but I'm just telling you today, if you're in Christ, He's forgiven you of your sins. Amen? Not guilty. What a declaration. Thank God for it. Thank God for forgiveness. And if you're here today and you don't know Christ, you don't know you've been born again today, You ought to say no to every thought and emotion that's in you that would keep you from coming to Jesus Christ. You ought to say no to every one of those things and step out and come to Jesus Christ and trust Him as your Savior. Amen?